All right, what's up everyone? It is so good to be here. Um, Athletes in Action changed my life when I was here. I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus till my freshman year of college, and I remember seeing a sign for Athletes in Action in the elevator of Ladder Milk my first week of school here. And I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting. And so I went, felt so seen and known as soon as I walked in the doors, um, started getting discipled. I remember um, I was sitting outside Ram's dining hall with Sarah Lewis, who's on staff here. She shared the gospel with me. And um, that was when I surrendered my life to Christ, was outside Ram's dining hall. On a beautiful sunny day, I remember it like it was yesterday. And ever since that day, my life has drastically changed. My desires have changed. Um, Yeah, that day changed my life. but I met my best friends and athletes in action. I actually just celebrated my best friend's wedding last weekend, MG and Pryor. Um, so yeah, embrace this community. Um, I have several best friends that I've kept up with since undergrad. Um, I did undergrad here 2015 to 2019, was on the field hockey team, and then I went to seminary at Baylor, and now I'm back working at the North Carolina Study Center, um, joined staff in August, and it's so good to be back in Chapel Hill. Um, just honored and blessed to be here today to share with y'all a passage in Exodus that reminds us um, that it's okay to doubt. And so I want to turn our attention to um, what it looks like to doubt, to have healthy doubt, to bring it to the Lord, and also want to interweave my testimony and share um, the why questions that I've asked to God in the past seven years. Um, so, yeah, I want to bring our attention to um, Exodus 5.22 to 6.18. That's his 13, but we'll be in to go to 6.18. So, Um, I just want to remind y'all, in the midst of our doubts, God promises to show up. And so throughout our time here tonight, I want to show us why we can trust God. Um, We can trust him because he has fulfilled every single one of his promises. From generation to generation, he proves himself to be trustworthy and faithful. My life testifies to that, and as we see throughout history in the Bible, um, history testifies to that as well. So I want to ask a question to y'all. How many of you have asked, why, Lord? Why, Lord, did that injury happen? Why, Lord, another breakup? Why, Lord, did I fail that class? Why, Lord, did my family member get cancer? I want to invite you into several questions I've asked myself and to God over the past seven years. Why, Lord, did a transfer goalkeeper come and almost take my position on the field hockey team? Why, Lord, did you take away the man that I love? Why, Lord, did I almost fail out of my first semester of college? Why, Lord, did I get caught with an underage possession of alcohol citation? Why, Lord, is my dad struggling with alcohol? Those are several questions I've asked myself over the past seven years. and. What the Lord has been showing me lately is sometimes we we focus so much on asking ourselves, why, Lord? Why did this happen? And we can consume so much of our energy trying to figure out why something happened. But I listened to a podcast by Lisa Turkhurst, and she said, what if we turned our attention to what now? So changing our why to what now? Lord, who do you want me to become in the chaos, in the hard times, when things get rocky, when things don't go my way? Who do you want me to become in the midst of the hard? And so that's really what I want to challenge you all with tonight is, No matter if you're going through an injury or a breakup or um, just struggling to find answers for something, ask yourselves, okay, what can I do now in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the doubt? So now if y'all want to turn to Exodus 5.22 with me, I would love to read this passage and then break it down and show us how we can see that God leans into our doubts, how he promises to show up in our doubts. 
So if y'all want to read along with me, I'll read it. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and gave them a charge about the people of Israel, and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So we'll stop there. It is to verse 13. I love this passage for so many different reasons. The first reason why I love this passage is because Moses turns towards the Lord in his doubt, in his questioning, in his confusion. And just to give you a little backstory of where we are in the story in Exodus, so God in the burning bush told Moses, I will use you to lead your people out from slavery of the Egyptians. And so here, um, Pharaoh's heart is only beginning to get harder and harder, and God has not delivered them yet. They are still enslaved. They were enslaved for 430 years. That is an incredibly long time to be enslaved by the Egyptians. And just to give you a glimpse of how long 430 years truly is, 430 years subtracted from 2023 is 1593, which is when William Shakespeare's first public poem was released. I didn't even know what that poem was. I had to look it up. Um, but that's just to give you a glimpse of how long 430 years truly is. Um, so it makes sense why they were hopeless and they didn't believe that God was going to bring them out because they were enslaved for so long. And so here, Moses turns to the Lord and says, Lord, where are you? You told me that you were going to deliver us and things are only getting harder and harder. Pharaoh is only making our labor harder and it's getting more intense. And so Moses turns to the Lord and said, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? And so here we see he's hopeless, he's confused, he's doubting God's promise. And what I would love is next we see the Lord said to Moses. So here we see the Lord turning towards Moses in his doubt. The Lord wasn't afraid of his doubts, he wasn't ashamed of his doubts, but he pressed into his doubts and revealed himself fully to Moses. We see that God spoke to him and said, I am the Lord. Here he 
is fully revealing himself. I am Yahweh. This is the first time that we see God fully reveal himself thus far in scripture. Um, in the Hebrew, Yahweh is unknown, the true meaning of it, because it evokes so much mystery. But what scholars do know about the name Yahweh is that it is a manifestation of the holy, and it is a personal name for God. So here we see God manifesting his holy name to Moses in his doubts when he is saying, why, Lord? He's questioning him. And the Lord doesn't back away. He doesn't run, but rather he, he draws himself closer and closer to Moses. And he's delighted in Moses' doubt because it's an opportunity for him to show up, to meet him right where Moses is. And so what an encouragement that is to us that no matter the questions you have, no matter the why questions, when we bring those to the Lord just like Moses did, God promises to show up in our doubt. He promises to fully reveal himself to us. And there's a lot of times where God doesn't always make it clear why things happen. There are some things that he reveals to us why that happened, and there's also some things that he doesn't reveal to us. And in those moments, we just have to trust and hold on and, and wait patiently. And the waiting is very hard. Um, as you know, as athletes, there's a lot, of, a lot of times and seasons where you have to wait, wait for a starting position, wait for um, your foot to be healed. Um, and the waiting season is really, really hard. But as we see, these Israelites waited 430 years to be delivered, and God showed up. And it may take longer than we want or desire, but he does promise to show up and reveal himself to us in those times. So I want to draw our attention to four promises that we see in this passage. The first is the promise of freedom. In verse 6, God promises people freedom from slavery. I will rescue you from slavery to them. God promises you freedom. He promises to deliver you. The second promise we see is redemption, the promise of redemption. God promised redemption to his people from oppression. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. The third promise we see is the promise of deliverance. In verse 7, we see this promise. He says, you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. So we can know that God promises to deliver us to himself. No matter what we go through, he promises to deliver and free us and redeem us. The fourth promise we see is the promise of adoption. And this is also in verse 7. God promised to adopt the Israelites as his own people. And he states, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. When we give our life to Christ, we are adopted into his family, his eternal family. And so he promises to graft us in as his beloved son or daughter. And so I would love to pause there and just share a little bit about my testimony and how I have seen God show up in the midst of my doubts, in the midst of my why questions. Um, I'd like to take you all back to my freshman year at UNC. Um, you always hear college is the best four years of your life. College was not the best four years of my life, um, but my faith was, was refined and grown in significant ways because of the things that I went through in college. And so I just want to encourage you all that if you have not had a great college experience, if you've been through the fire, that's okay. Um, it's not always going to be happy. It's not always going to be easy. Um, but you can know that God is with you in every season, every step of the way. So my freshman year, I came in. My first semester, I ended with a 1.4 GPA. I took a class on dinosaurs. I don't know why I took that class. Um, but there was two tests in the whole entire class, and I ended up failing both of them. Um, I was an AB student in, in high school, K 
came into college thinking, oh, I got this. Um, yeah, ended my first semester with a 1.4 GPA. Not a great start to college. Um, fast forward a few more months. I had never drank before coming to college, never partied until um, my first year. I went to a field hockey party and um, we left the party and it was a party where you bring a fifth of liquor and I had fireball and we were in an Uber on the way home from the party and the Uber got pulled over and I was sitting in the front seat with a girl on my lap and so we both got out of the Uber and the police officer asked us, do you have any alcohol on you? And me being honest, I said, yes, I do. And I pulled it out of my backpack, the fireball, and I got cited for an underage possession of alcohol citation. So also not a great look to start my first year with a 1.4 GPA. And then to go and tell my coaches that I was caught with an underage possession of alcohol citation. Um, I had 6 a.m. workouts for two weeks, so that was not fun. Had to pay $500 in court fees to get it off my record. Um, and I never drank. This was my first time at a party, first time trying alcohol. And I got caught. And God really used that moment to show me that the party lifestyle is not fulfilling. It is not worth pursuing. Um, as I stated earlier, my, uh, my dad's an alcoholic, and so I've seen firsthand how damaging alcohol can be and I made a vow to God that day that I would never let alcohol control me as I've seen it control someone that I love so much. Um, so God used that moment to protect me, to show me that is not the path worth pursuing to go down. So that was a wake-up call for me. Fast forward a few more months, the summer going into my sophomore year, my coach called me into her office. I was recruited as a backup goalkeeper um, to play field hockey here. And so as you know, there's only one position on the field for a goalkeeper. And so. My coach called me into her office and she said, MK, we have a national team goalie transferring in. We're going to have a tryout in preseason. We're only keeping one of you. And so she pretty much told me I was going to be cut from the team. And so here we go. Started off 1.4 GPA, underage possession of alcohol citation. And then my coach tells me that she may be cutting me from the field hockey team. And at that moment, I thought, okay, Lord, you brought me here for field hockey and now you're about to take it away. Why are things just so hard? Nothing is going my way. I feel so confident that you have called me here to UNC, and it doesn't seem like I'm supposed to be here. And so I could have transferred. I had thought about it. Um, I also thought about just quitting and not showing up to the tryout. And then the third option was to just persevere and work my butt off that summer. And I felt the Lord telling me to keep going, to persevere. And so that summer worked the hardest I've ever worked in my life. Um, I, I was on my knees in prayer, um, met with older women in my life to, to continue pouring into me, to disciple me. And that summer is really when I experienced the Lord. That is when I truly experienced the goodness of God. Um, and I came to the, the point where I said, Lord, if you take field hockey away, I will still praise you. And I think that's what he was doing. In, in that summer was to show me, I did not bring you to UNC for field hockey, I brought you here to find me. Um, and he used field hockey to bring me to Athletes in Action, which led me to, to my faith, which led me to surrendering my life to Christ. And so that summer was a wake-up call, and it showed me that my identity is not in my sport, it's not in what I do, it's not in my grades, it's not in getting caught, but it's in, it's in whose I am, and that's in Jesus Christ. Um, and so... Went into preseason, um, gave it my everything, 
didn't think I was going to stay on the team. My coach called me into her office the week after preseason and she said, MK, we've been so impressed by the way you've handled this situation. We're going to keep both of you. And that is not to boast in myself. That is to boast in the power of God and the power of prayer. Um, and what a blessing it was to stay on the field hockey team. Um, and yeah, I'm so thankful for that hard summer because the Lord showed me that even if field hockey was taken away, I would have been okay um, because God is enough for me. He is my strength. Um, I'm reading in Job right now, and in Job chapter 1, he talks about how the Lord gives and he takes. And no matter what, I will still praise your name, Lord. Um, if you all have read Job, we see that Job's family was taken, his land was taken, um, everything he, he, he knew was taken away from him. And he said, I will still praise your name, Lord, even though you have taken all this away from me. And that's what God did that summer for me, was showed me um, no matter what you have, no matter what is taken away, you are okay because you are in me. Um, and so, yeah, stayed on the field hockey team. Um, fast forward a few more months. Um, I dated a guy for four years. He came to me one weekend and he told me, MK, I need two weeks to see if I still love you. Totally out of the blue, couldn't look me in the eyes. Um, was so random, was blindsided, couldn't understand why that was happening, thought I was going to marry this guy. Um, and after he left you, and we did long distance, after he left Chapel Hill when he told me that, I immediately met with women in my life who loved the Lord, and I said, okay, he told me this, what do I do? And they said, he is not worth your time. Um, and so I asked him if we could meet up halfway. He, went, he played football at Wingate in Charlotte, outside Charlotte. And so I asked if we could meet halfway, and he said, you know, I'm going to a party tonight. I don't know if I have time. I said, okay, you can't give me the time of day to, to have a conversation. So long story short, we ended up meeting up, and I ended it, and we, yeah, went our separate ways. Um, I couldn't understand it in the moment, but being away from it, um, just praise the Lord that he separated us. We were not in a God-honoring relationship, and he, I know he was not God's best for me. Um, and that was probably the hardest thing I've ever been through, but also the biggest blessing in my life because um, then again, um, God used that moment to show me that God is way bigger than my circumstances and my situations, and he used that moment to really strengthen and refine me. And it's cool how he used each one of those moments coming before the breakup to prepare me, to strengthen me for that moment. Um, yeah, so those were four big things that happened in my undergrad experience here at Carolina. Um, and then I went to pursue seminary at Baylor, and things didn't get easier going to, to Baylor. Um, trials came, more storms came. I was denied <coughs> my first full-time job that I applied for at Baylor. I applied for a job to be a sports chaplain. Um, I thought I was going to get it. Everything aligned for me to get it. I had done a one-year internship with the Baylor um, sports minister, and um, I said, Lord, if this is not where you want me, would you shut the door? And he did that. Um, he did that loud and clear. Um, and what's crazy is the same day that my boss told me I didn't get the job was the same day that Matt Hain, who is one of the directors at the study center, emailed me and told me about this job opportunity. And so it is so crazy, God's timing that and how God was opening a door before he even shut one. And he, he knew where he wanted me and he was directing me. And I want that to be an encouragement to y'all. If you seem like a door is shut in your face, just know that God will open another door in his timing, and sometimes when he shuts a door, it's just to redirect us to something better. And I can now say that I'm in my dream job, and what I thought was a dream, my dream job at Baylor, 
um, it would have been great, but I am so happy here and confident that this is where God wants me. Um, yeah, and two months ago, I was faced with another no. Um, I was dating a guy who I, who I envisioned a future with, and um, we met in seminary, and um, yeah, we ended up breaking up two months ago, and um, no's are really hard to hear. Um, he FaceTimed me and said, I can't do this anymore, and rejection sucks, and it's really hard. Um, and there are still things I'm processing from that, and still a lot of why questions I'm I'm asking the Lord in that, and it just seems like another breakup after another breakup, but um, just been able to open my hands and say, Lord, I trust you. I, I know you're in control of my life, and I want your best for my life, and more importantly than anything else, I've just been praying, Lord, I want you, nothing else but you, and so um, that's a bit of my testimony, and it's some of the some of the why questions I've been asking myself for the past seven years, and um, there's a lot of hard in life, but we can be confident that we serve a God who is with us in the heart, who will never leave our side. He is for you, not against you, and he withholds no good thing from you. And something I'm repeating to myself is no season is wasted. Um, when we go through an injury or a breakup, it can so often seem like, okay, Lord, why? Why did we go through all of that just to have it fail or to not work our way? But understanding that God uses those seasons of hard to refine us um, to make us stronger and to point us and draw us into himself. And so to conclude, I'd like to draw our attention, attention to two verses. The first is John 15:5, and it states, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I love this verse because if you know anything about a vine, it is the vine that sustains the branch. It sustains life. It is the, the vine that gives life to the nutrients, to everything else in the tree, to the branch. And sometimes all we can do is just hold on for dear life and cling to that vine. Um, no matter what you go through, all God asks of us is to cling, to abide, to hold on. And so the second verse I want to draw our attention to is Isaiah 43:16, And it states, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I love this verse and this depiction of um, when we feel like the waters are coming over us, when we feel like the boat is rocking and we may sink, God promises to always open a way. I love that song, Waymaker. He is a miracle worker, a waymaker who will always make a way. And we see this as he parted the Red Sea for the Israelites to get through. He opened it long enough and wide enough, just in time for them to get through so the Egyptians couldn't get to them. Um, and so let Isaiah 43:16 be a reminder that he is always making a way. He is always making a dry path through the chaos, through the hard times, through the rocky waters. When we feel like the boat is going to sink, he promises that he will show up to make a way. And so in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of the hard, let us remember, when trouble comes, remember who God is, where he has taken you, and where he will bring you. He promises to free you, to deliver you, to redeem you, and bring you to himself. God will show up and trust that he will because he promises that he will. One of my best friends, the greatest piece of advice I've ever been given is by my best friend, and she said, if you ever doubt God's goodness, look back to see where he's taking you, and let that be a reminder to, to trust that he will bring you 
to where he wants you. And I love that. If you ever doubt his goodness or where, where are you, Lord, just look back to see where he's taking you and all that he's brought you into. Um, and we can trust God because he, he is a way maker and a promise keeper. And we see that from generation to generation that he will never fail us. He is constant. He is forever. And his love is so deep for you. There is no place that his love for you will not go. So thanks for letting me share tonight.